And, and the initiator of this war is not Comrade Andropov, of course. Uh, it's, it's the system, however ridiculous it may sound, the world communist system or the world communist conspiracy. Whether I scare some people or not, I don't give a hoot. Uh, if, if you are not scared by now, nothing can scare you. But you don't have to be paranoid about it. What, what actually happens now, that unlike myself, you have literally several years to move on unless the United States wake up. The, the time bomb is ticking with every second. The disaster is coming closer and closer. Unlike myself, you will have nowhere to defend it. Unless you want to live in Antarctica with penguins. This is it. This is the last country of freedom and, and possibility. everybody it's Pajpo we're that podcast that you're listening to right now it's Thursday April 13th not Friday the 13th no it is not but pretty close and it's been an exciting week yeah a lot of anxiety inducing in this week a lot of drama this week a lot of major foreign policy developments yeah couple of military, big military actions that we definitely got to address. And uh, perhaps most interesting, most exciting. Yeah. Okay, this is only like the fifth episode of this podcast. Right. We've already been contacted by White House insiders. It's unbelievable, man. I can't believe this happened. Yeah. Uh, we're, we've got a really exciting piece of information we're going to break. Yeah, we're really excited to get this stuff to you guys, man. So... As all of our listeners know, over the past couple of weeks, there's been a lot of interior White House drama. Right, yeah. A lot of internal conflict. Uh, sort of a power struggle that's been depicted in the media between two of Trump's top advisors, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and Chief White House strategist, Steve Bannon. Yeah. Been reports of lots of arguments breaking out. Steve Bannon notably got removed from the White House Security Council. Uh, from the media reports, it seems like Bannon's uh, taking the more aggressive stance, uh, the more argumentative stance against Kushner. At the same time, Kushner represents an influence that many in Trump's base don't agree with and that uh, they see as subversive. So perhaps Bannon's behavior could be understood to a big degree. Yeah, he definitely has that more aggressive presence to himself. But with a worldwide first, we we've we've received an actual audio tape. Yeah. Of the uh, the pivotal fight everyone in the media was reporting about between Jerry Kushner and Steve Bannon. Uh, and, and we're gonna air that for you. We're gonna and, we're gonna and air let, it uh, let, let 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 our listeners decide. Uh, you know how they feel about this. Right. All right. So without further ado. Okay. We're going to play it right now. Fuck your mom and Istanbul, you globalist couple. Dude, what? 
Very explosive. Um, wow. You know, not always the language you expect to hear coming out of the White House, but sometimes that's the language that comes out of the White House. You I know, guess politics we, just gets aggressive sometimes. Yeah, you, you know, you look through history, you look at, like, folks like LBJ, yeah. you know, or Teddy Roosevelt, uh, Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Uh, you know, world leaders, uh, very coarse, very foul. Yeah. Uh, very arguments filled with lots of vitriol right uh is this a good thing for the for the white house is is this uh because trump's kind of taking a position on this that uh you know oh i hate it when my boys fight but that's what makes them strong that's what makes them strong yeah that's exactly what i was thinking man some of this a little bit of it is healthy it keeps uh you know it keeps everybody on their toes a little bit yeah definitely uh, w- one thing uh, that the, the the Trump base has always held is that you know, yeah, this was a victory, you know, big win in the in the twenty sixteen election, but we need to continue holding people accountable. Trump right. got elected to to hold the entrenched politicians accountable, but we got to do the same to his administration. We got to make sure that his advisors have the best interests of him and the country uh, in mind, in place. Yeah, and, and it's almost as if he knew this going in. I mean, the whole drain the swamp meme existed from right off the beginning. Like, he knew that this was what he was going into. He's going to have people who are going to wear the mask of his support, and eventually the day is going to come when their true colors show. Yeah. He's going to have to get rid of them. Yeah. And, you know, part of it, too, is the uh, the ever-changing nature of the media and the day-by-day increasing level of access that journalists have to politicians and to the behind-the-scenes reality of what's going on. Yeah. As well as their, their willingness and freedom to be able to report onto it. Right. Uh, you know, you know, you have Otto von Bismarck, the famous German leader that once declare the laws are like sausages it's better if you don't see them being made exactly uh so these kind of nasty violent conflicts are definitely a natural part of the process yeah um i think it's good i think it's uh a sign of a experienced boss of all bosses, if you will, uh, that that Trump isn't coming down particularly too hard on one side or the other with, with his battle between his lieutenants right now. Yeah, yeah, he's he's kind of uh, taking the stance of uh, letting it play out. And letting the alpha, letting whoever's the stronger person come out on top. I, I commend him for it. This is the way you got to do it. Yeah. Especially well, with politicians. He, he's also sitting back and, and seeing how the press, who he, he doesn't particularly care about, but seeing how they react. And then also, more importantly, seeing how his voters react to it. Seeing how the journalists and the analysts he considers allies react to it and also it's a, it's gonna say a lot about bannon too 
you got to think, at this point in time, there's a lot going on in that guy's life. He's been forced to step down from his position. And uh, depending on how he handles himself, can really, you know, reveal the cards that he has in his hand. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. It, 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 it's going to test his resolve. Yeah. For a, a big deal. Uh, it is important, I think, that he, he approaches this fight right at the beginning of the administration. Mm-hmm. Because if Kushner is truly an, an adversarial force or an actual representative of globalist interests within the Trump administration, then he does have a point that Kushner being Trump's son-in-law and also having a position in the White House administration, uh, it, it's very hard for him to compete at the same level of influence. Yeah. Right? And for the most part, he kind of represents the complete opposite stance on all that stuff. Like, whereas Kushner's, uh, you know, I hesitate to call him a globalist, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, he's communicating with foreign ambassadors all the time. That's his role. Right. Bannon, on the other hand, seems to be more in tune with the Trump, uh, again, I hesitate to say isolationist, but that sort of framework. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's in, in order to pull off the 2016 election, uh, election, Trump needed to pitch a very big tent. Yeah. And bring in a very ideologically diverse uh, coalition. Different uh, groups with interests that don't align on many issues, uh, in particular related to the issue of foreign policy, mm-hmm. because the 2016 election was very much focused around domestic policy. Yeah. So th- this fight had to happen, and it's com- it's, it's been coming for a while. And with, with Syria and with North Korea, right. obviously this becomes the moment where it, it comes to the forefront. Yeah. And, I, and I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to ask you this either way. It, it's interesting to question where the push came from for the, um, for the events that we've been seeing in the media uh, regarding these foreign countries, you know? Yeah. It, it, it seems to be very um, out of left field. Yeah. It yeah I I mean obviously during the ele- the election Hillary was very pro intervention in Syria yes and Trump was opposed to that and then now here we are just a couple months into the the Trump administration and he's bombing Syria right and it, it, it it's a really complicated subject man but I. I Personally, think Trump had very limited options in how he was going to respond to the situation that he kind of got thrust into, and I, I feel like with what was in front of him, he made the the best choice possible hmm. in taking a a very reserved action, flexing a little.
man, I don't know. This this whole this whole situation's really weird, man. Um, what are the possibilities that Donald Trump was given information linking President Bashar al-Assad to the attack that the news and the mass media wasn't given? Pretty low. So you think he made this? He 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 okayed this maneuver, this military maneuver, using the same information that you and I have. Pretty much. I mean, they're going off like satellite imagery, right? When when they're identifying like a big missile strike or a big chemical weapon strike. So you think they because the reports didn't even seem to indicate that. The reports seem to be just straight up here and. I'm not taking a stance. In fact, if I'm taking a stance, the only stance I'm taking is I don't have enough information on this. But it seemed to me like the reports that came in were hearsay. Uh, some people in the in the vicinity saw something. Uh, some of this footage came out uh, of atro- atrocious footage of of infants suffering, and uh, based on the totality of those few things Donald Trump made a an exec an non-executive order but he took initiative and took action now if if we had satellite footage if we had some sort of information to indicate that there was an actual aircraft it was maybe this sort of aircraft and this is the kind of aircraft that the Syrian uh, air force is known for using uh, or maybe even the type of chemicals that were used can be linked to uh, some sort of uh, arsenal of chemical weapons that we know Bashar al-Assad has used before. Something to link the two. Uh, you know, but see, I, I'm kind of more along the lines of exactly what you're saying. It, it seems like, and maybe maybe it's my ignorance that's leading me to this, but it seems like Donald Trump made the decision based on the same information that you and I have, that everybody else has. And, uh, you know, we all know he came out himself and said that, uh, I, I don't know how big of a push this was, but, you know, he, he saw the reaction of his daughter when, he, when she saw those videos. And he saw the reaction of the American people when everybody saw those videos. I mean, they were horrible videos, very difficult to watch. Uh, could this, I guess my question to you is, could this be a sign that Donald Trump uh, is prone to allowing emotion to take over and control rational thinking? No, I don't, I don't think it's uh, a sign that he's prone to allowing emotion mm-hmm. uh, influence him too much. I, I think it is a sign that uh, there's still a hell of a lot of neoconservatives in D.C. Mm. They still have a lot of influence. Mm-hmm. They're still capable of reaching Trump. And a big faction, you know, wants a ground war in Syria. Yeah. Wants uh, 250,000 troops deployed into Syria. I get That's the reports we're hearing about now, right? Yeah. Man. Bannon obviously doesn't want that, and I, I very much, I mean, Trump said as much that uh, that's not what he wants either. A troop 
uh, a deployment of that size yeah uh starts to beg the question of whether or not they're going in there to overthrow a government or are they going in there in the name of this international coalition against isis it well it'd be both there it it it'd be anti-Assad, it would be anti-ISIS, it would be anti-White Helmets, it would be anti-Turkish influence, it would be anti-Iranian influence, anti-Russian influence. Um, the existence of so many factions and the substantial armaments that all of them have mm-hmm. uh, w- would necessitate you know, a deployment of that size if we were to to do that I mean I'm, I'm just trying to think back to the invasion of Baghdad mm-hmm. how long did we took it we, we were in the in the main city in few how long did it take us a few hours a few days and we, we were just like we took over that place quick I, I mean I don't know how long it'll take us to reach Assad if we if we decide to deploy troops in there it, it, it would probably take a lot lot longer think so it, yeah um the invasion of iraq was interesting because and there's a lot of parallels in libya mm-hmm. um and parallels to syria no very no, very few there's very there's very few hmm. between yeah, uh, parallels with Iraq, Libya, and and, and Syria. There, there's many between uh, uh, Iraq and Libya. Right. And basically, they they come down to uh, both Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi's paranoia with the military. With their own military. With their own military. Right. Yeah. Because in both countries, Gaddafi and Hussein got rid of most of their really effective military leaders mm-hmm. and personally led the military. Mm-hmm. And like, like, like uh, there was a really good report published years ago in, in foreign policy on it, but it was an analysis of the actual battle plan that Saddam Hussein drew up mm. for the defense of Baghdad. Mm. And basically it was like, okay, we're going to have circle A on the outside and we'll fight there for as long as we can and then we'll fall back to circle B and then we'll fight there for as long as we can then we're going to fall back to circle C which is like right around the palace and then we just fight. Mm-hmm. You know, we just fight until we're all fucking dead. <laughs> um, and that sounds like a, a really huge simplification of it but it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, and like he combined this with like other really dumb ideas, like burying the entire Iraqi air force in, in the desert. Because hmm. the idea was, all right, America's gonna send all their fucking bombs in, uh, level everything, blow everything up, and we can't compete with that. Like right at the start, obviously, right? We're just all gonna get smoked. Like all of our planes are gonna get smoked. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll put them in the sand. Okay, we'll we'll take these like jets that cost a hundred million dollars each. Yeah. Bury them under the ground. And then dig them up real quick and launch them as like a surprise attack. Mm. Uh. And obviously, right? It's like Saddam was saying. It's like when he gives that order, you just do it because if you don't, you get executed. Yeah. 
but there's like very huge problems with like completely submerging a fighter jet in sand like you like you just you just fucking ruin the entire thing like sand gets in everything it gets in the engine it gets in the turbines uh it, it just destroys everything you know yeah um uh, especially because it, it's like okay there's no iraqi company that's ever produced fighter jets right yeah they're using like old soviet tech that they're like barely keeping together in the first place yeah because the, the whole air force is like completely underfunded uh so, 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 so yeah so so none of their jets ever even took off ever um and then in Libya, you, 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 you had the same thing. You know, uh, Gaddafi replaced most of his effective generals with his sons or family members, uh, most of whom were drug addicts, uh, never went to, like, actual military academy for, for like, actual study. Um, and so in both invasions, when, you know, the most professional military force in the world, the American military, shows up, uh, or forces supported by their air force. Most of the military units like immediately surrendered. You know they gave up. They deserted. Uh, in, in Iraq, especially the the Republican Guard abandoned like almost every post. Uh, like like ninety percent of the battles that would have happened never happened. In, in in Syria, it's a, it's a much more different situation, right? The, the Syrian army's always been very professional, and then Assad had a lot of major defections, but was able to replace them with with mercenaries really quick. And thanks to his support with Russia, he's been able to keep the mercenary army combined with the remnants of the national army yeah man that's gonna be a scary thing because russia's not gonna just roll over and admit or be okay with wasting all this time and money and manpower to just allow the united states to deploy troops and overthrow this government i mean sure after we uh did what we did in Syria with those 50 Tomahawks. Well, 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 is there still a possibility? Suppose there's no American involvement at all in Syria. Okay. Is there still a possibility Assad regains control of the country? I think so. Okay. With the help of the with the help of Russia, it yeah. really seems like it. It really seems like the stronghold of I mean what was it, like a week into Russia getting involved in the situation, Aleppo was completely liberated. It was just last, it was December. We right. saw the, the first time these these poor minority Christians were able to celebrate Christmas for the first time in six years. Okay. Quickly, you know. I, 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 I think they can. That That's why this whole thing is so strange to me. That like, but but you, you you think they can conditional on he heavy Russian support? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think so. And of course, that that leaves the question of what happens when uh, the threat is minimized. Uh, I mean, the cause of the threat is still there, right? You have these people who are opposed to having a secular government in place. Right. They're coming in from 
all over the Middle East. Their right. Turkey is right there. Turkey's just flooding them with these people. Yeah. So I mean that that question is still there, even if Russia continues to bomb the heck out of these people. Yeah. And and neutralize the threat. Are they just going to get replaced? So I I don't know, but look, man, I just it seems like the older I get, the more I want this like non-aggression yeah. principle. Well, well, like, well, well, I mean, obviously the civil war has taken like a really heavy, uh, casually toll on like Assad's military. Yeah. Uh, is it possible for him to like rebuild? The, the the Syrian military to to effectively defend Syria to keep all of these uh, terrorist groups sponsored by foreign countries or right. subversive groups within his own countries or radical Islamic fashions uh, springing up inside of his country. Yeah, is it, is it even possible to do? I yeah. don't know. What do you think? Um, I mean, for me, it. Uh, I've kind of viewed Syria as like a like failed state for just like years. Like, uh, right. The the war is lost. You know. Um. But someone's got to lead the country. I mean, uh, uh, it, it's tough, man. I, 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 I don't know if there's a Syria country, you know, uh, 15 years from now or whenever this thing ends. Right. Uh, hey, man, you know, it's that point is a lot less extreme than it sounds. I mean, these boundaries were arbitrarily drawn anyways. Right. Splitting up the entire Middle East. Right. You might be onto something, but look, it's such a tough situation, man. Yeah. I wanna. I want. I would rather see. Oh, this is such an obvious statement. I would rather see this whole thing play out in a non-aggressive way, where more people don't have to die. Right. And but I, but you have like ten different groups. Yeah. Uh, military groups. Yeah. Uh. Well, I've been fighting for fighting decades. For control. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're not going to give up. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, but it has. Who do you? Who would you rather have the country? We can't just sit down and watch them eat them eat themselves alive. Talking about millions of innocent people. What do you? What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, we we've seen. Uh, Look, and this is a controversial topic, but we've yeah. seen what happens when Syrian refugees go into European countries. Mm. It's not a pretty sight. Right. They, and it, that shouldn't even be part of the argument because Syrians need a home. They have a homeland. Yes. They're, they're, they're a culture that's been here for thousands of years. Yeah. This is their home. They're, they don't. There was an interesting interview on CNN. Did you, I don't know if you saw it, but it was uh, it was a it was a gentleman who who was praising Donald Trump for what he did with the with the strikes against Assad. Okay. And uh, the the 
reporter, the, the news, um, uh, what do they call it? The correspondent yeah. uh, was asking him about uh, the situation with refugees coming into being allowed into foreign countries. And he outright said it. He's like, we don't want to come into your country. We want our home. Yeah. And that really resonated with me because it's true. Like, imagine they came to the country of my ancestry or your ancestry, and we were in the situation. We wouldn't want to flee the country. We want our country back. Right, right. So whatever they do, they got to figure out a way. And look, if Assad is the type of person to chem his own people, mm -hmm. he's got to go. You can't, you can't let the stuff slide. You got to take them out. You got to, you got to start new. But before you do that, you got to make sure that it's him doing it. You can't, you can't just let a video surface. And I'm not saying this is what happened. I know it's gonna, it's gonna rile some feathers, but you can't just allow a video to surface showing atrocities in in a village in Syria, and let that be the catalyst let your anger and your emotion be the catalyst to overthrowing a government and making the same mistakes that we all as americans agree we did what was it 10 years ago 15 years ago right right we can't create another vacuum state it's just gonna you know insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again expecting a different result can't do that can't risk that just just thinking out loud here i think it's interesting that when donald trump was running for election yeah a big promise that he made to us to the american people yeah was that he's going to put a stop to this globalist ideology we're going to focus on america first and it's interesting to see now in hindsight that that's a beautiful piece of rhetoric, but that there's going to be these instances where, because the world's a cold, cruel place, we're going to see these instances of devastation. And as the superpower, as the hegemony of the world, we're going to want to step in because we can. We have the we have the capabilities to step in and make change. Right. But what got him elected was the philosophy that we don't want to influence anybody. We want to focus on ourselves. And now, once we're faced with a circumstance like this, and it could be much worse, and throughout history there's been incidents that are much worse than what we saw last week. Now everybody's rethinking it. Now I'm rethinking it. Because now it's real. Now it's like, okay, we're not dealing with rhetoric anymore. So, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm adamantly opposed to the idea of globalization. Mm -hmm. But the question is one that we've touched upon probably every episode, but... You know, is this a philosophy that's going to re resonate throughout the end of time? That the strong needs to step up for those who are uh, 
suppressed, weak, small, and and help them because nobody else is going to help them? You know what I mean? Well, well, you know, America taking military action in Syria, there's definitely the uh, the, the humanitarian like pitch to it but our incentives for doing that definitely go uh far beyond like humanitarian motivations too think so yeah in syria yeah definitely see when when i heard about when i heard this story break i thought for sure that it i mean on its face, it really seemed like Donald Trump was ignoring any sort of selfish uh, uh, motivations and instead standing up for a people that he saw needed help. So I, I'm curious. Uh, I'm not criticizing. I'm actually I, I, I'm curious to hear uh, what do you think alternative incentives were? Well, well, there's the the big issue of controlling Russian access to uh, the Syrian uh, coastlines mm. and the Syrian gas pipelines. Right. Hmm. The region being destable or Assad not having total governance over the country. Yeah. You know, prevents that situation. And Trump taking military action against basically a joint Russia Syria military base definitely downplays the the strength and validity of the Trump's the Russian agent narrative. Yeah. In, in the press. Yes. That's a to, big one too. Yeah. To a big degree. We're, uh, I think f- this is the first time that we're seeing uh, the, that element dying down in the news. Yeah. For the <laughs> first time in a few months, we've, we haven't heard this conspiracy theory about uh, Trump being in the pockets of Russians or vice versa. You know, the, the big argument that the uh the people claiming that the the gas attack was a false flag have is that it it doesn't really seem to benefit Assad in any way right Right. of course yeah it could the, the 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 only plausible benefit I could see from it is uh The potential such an action would have would have to serve as a trial balloon, to try to test out America's new foreign policy, to try to t- test out the new military leadership of America, and and see, well, how much shit can we really get away with, you know, Be- because Putin basically uh, took over Ukraine and the Crimea with no real fall fallout mm-hmm. with no real pushback from obama mm-hmm. and wow this is good 
Yeah. That's uh, a good point. And so, so definitely the, the use of chemical weapons is like a massive international taboo. Yeah. But there's also obviously no real journalist presence in Syria because it's complete war zone. Yeah. And you can re- really spin anything that comes out of there because there's no credible source at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and and similarly, just to draw another uh, connection to what you're saying, just as when there was the takeover of Crimea, yeah, and United States did nothing but, you know, give a couple words, yeah, we saw what the reaction of Russia was when we hit Assad's bases, Air, Air Force bases, with our tomahawks. Right, it was minimal at best, and what did they say? We're uh, they used the word. Um, what did they say? They said that it was. Ah, uh, oh, it slips me. Oh, the, the yes, Putin walked unconditional. Yeah, uh, he, we're not unconditional. Yeah, yeah he, like he walked back his uh, commitment to. The eternal relationship with Assad, basically, yes. saying saying that their their relationship with Assad isn't unconditional. Yep, which is it's a fascinating relation there. Yeah. So that's interesting, but I mean, man, that's that's a tangled web. If this was one of those, if, if man, I hate to even think about it. I I mean, if you're dealing with tyrannical regimes that for one purpose or another kind of need to stay in power or that you're not going to commit to putting out of power and they're also leaders that are adversarial towards America uh, I think these kind of shows of force are necessary once in a while hmm. you know you don't have to commit to the full action but if you show strength then you get the respect in return like uh and there was no casualties right from the tomahawk strikes i i i heard conflicting reports of either zero casualties or one casualty okay but you know it's it's a war zone so right uh who knows but yeah we we forewarned the Syrian air base commanders and also the Russian military commanders in the area uh, before we did it. Hmm. So the base was evacuated. Uh, but but completely leveled. Yeah. You know, you know the bu- buildings just destroyed. Yeah, the buildings were destroyed. Yeah. But that, the, you know, 60 Tomahawks, whatever it was, and the Moab bombing today. Yeah, let's talk um, about that. Obviously, strikes like this are done, you know, on, on the most basic level for the actual effect. Yeah. You know, uh, but most of the, the damage to enemy forces done by attacks like that, it's psychological, right? Right. Because it, it completely drops the morale of 
regiments in the surrounding area. Mm-hmm. It installs paranoia in both the troops and the commanders. And, you know, it, it, it just really causes terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Trump coming out right after it in the same press conference and saying that he's giving over full control to the leadership in the military to do actions like this. And in that same press conference saying when somebody asked him, I forget, I'm not, don't quote me on this, but someone asking him whether or not this was a uh, direct message to North Korea. And Donald Trump said something along the lines of, it wasn't meant to be a direct message, but North Korea is a problem and we're going to deal with the problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. uh, Strikes like this, it's definitely signaling to other adversaries that might not be in the region. Um, North Korea is a special case because obviously their military and their government controls, uh, you know, television news so severely that, like, you know... The average person in Pyongyang has no idea, you know, uh, anything our military has done in Syria or uh, in Afghanistan over the, over the past couple of weeks. But, you know, the, the average ISIS foot soldier that's, like, on Twitter and stuff, yeah. you know, and, like, sees the video of the bombing is just like, you know, fuck my life. <laughs> this is me next week. Yeah. <laughs> this is the highlight reel I'm going to show up in, you know. Yeah, it's got to be demoralizing, man. Yeah. Which is good, good for Trump, man. I mean, again, uh, I'm I'm non-aggression principle all the way, but if your goal is to strike fear in the hearts of the adversary, you know, this is definitely one way of doing it. Yeah. And it's, it's a very interesting departure from Obama administration tactics, right? Because... Uh, there is obviously the massive reliance on drone, drone warfare yeah. under Obama. Right. And what we've seen from Trump instead has been, okay, no more of the death by a thousand bee stings tactic. Yeah. We're just going to find the hive and come in with a flamethrower. You know, uh, it may prove to be much more effective much more effective in in multiple ways i mean you're talking about potentially uh securing the lives of the innocent yeah that were lost under the obama approach yeah well well, and also like uh it counters the previous like enemy propaganda right because under under like like obama the, 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 the the there is a realistic propaganda claim that you know oh, the american military acts cowardly you yeah. know they, they drone strike us and they snipe us from like a mile away uh they, they you know they don't actually bring it mm-hmm. a- and that's a lot more effective messaging for recruiting than last week america dropped a bomb that leveled everything in a mile radius mm-hmm. just one mile from here to here to there gone mm-hmm. 
Can you imagine witnessing that? One mile. Yeah. You know Russia. I I I, I could imagine witnessing it, but I I could definitely not imagine fighting <laughs> anymore after that. Yeah, man. You know, it's like, uh, do you remember like the Looney Tunes cartoons where like the one character pulls out like a knife and the other guy pulls out a baseball bat and yeah, the yeah. other guy pulls out a revolver, the other guy pulls out a shotgun, the other guy's rocket launcher, keeps scaling up all the way. And it's like, uh, in this situation, it's like, okay, we pulled out the AK, and you pulled out the Moab. Yeah. I don't even want to see where it goes to in, like, level two, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> AK is as high as it gets for me. I don't, I don't have anything more in, like, the armaments, the armaments department. Jeez. You know, apparently Russia created the father of all bombs. They have one that's bigger. Reading the reports today, I was very curious to see if this uh, would prompt the full op coming out. You had heard about it before this? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, uh, the Mercenaries 2. <laughs> <laughs> the PlayStation video game. Right. Uh, where, where you can actually drop them all up. Oh, man. Uh, so I, I played that and then immediately Wikipedia Moab right after. Yeah. And then learned learn learned about the Moab. But reading about the Moab actually getting used today, I, I'd be very curious to see if this doesn't turn into like a U.S. Russia dick waving contest, where, where Putin brings out the Moab. Hmm. Um. In, in kind of like a semi-adversarial, semi-working-together thing, you know, like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, we'll, we'll drop this on ISIS, but we're also doing this to prove that our military is better than yours. Yeah. Now we got to pray that somebody learned their lesson after the Cold War. Yeah, everyone's been grabbing you for this episode. Yeah, everyone's been grabbing you for this episode. For all you SoundCloud listeners out there, you can also find us on iTunes. You can also find us on Twitter at Poshpo underscore fan underscore club. You can also find me on Twitter at Corporation Mike. It's been a blast having you all here every week for these episodes. And we look forward to coming back to you with more.